0: Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says this. There's a fill in the blank here, just a warning. Through something, so that through something the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Now we're not going to the next slide yet. I want you to think for a moment. What fills in that blank? What do you think God has decided would be the perfect thing to reveal His wisdom for His eternal purpose? What is the thing that maybe let's put in you in His shoes for a second? It's a dangerous thing to pretend to do, but for a moment. What would you choose to do to reveal the manifold wisdom of God? Would it be something that was sure, something that was perfect, something that was powerful, right? I mean, would it be that you would want to rearrange the stars in the night sky so that they spelled out the glory of God? And everyone who walked outside would suddenly see, written in the heavens, the truth about who God is. That feels like something that would be effective in accomplishing that, right? Maybe that's what God might choose to do. Maybe God would reverse gravity just for a moment. And all of us would suddenly find ourselves floating up to the stratosphere where there's going to be a guided tour by the angels revealing all of God's wonderful wisdom. That also feels like that would be effective, if not terrifying. I feel like we would gain traction in the world and everyone understanding a little bit of who God is if that was the plan. What did God choose to use to reveal the manifold, the multifaceted, the endless wisdom of God? Well, let's look at the answer. Through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed. The church. I mean... Of all the hot and cold, wishy-washy, inconsistent things that God might choose to use to reveal His Word. Frankly, donkeys have a better track record at revealing His wisdom than we do throughout Scripture. I can think of two or three examples where they did just fine. I can think of a lot more of that where we have done the opposite. You and I... Somehow our God's plan as we belong to this community to make known the wisdom of God in Jesus. This is how God chooses to make his glory known. Now I'm not pretending to whitewash all of us here today as if we are perfect at that task. Frankly, we are far from it, aren't we? I don't think I have to convince any of us that. You've known that church as a Actual reality does not advance the glory of God the way it ought to. But it is God's plan to make his wisdom known in the world. Church matters. The church matters. So we've taken time during this refresh series to remember what matters to the church. If church matters, it's important that we remember consistently, frequently, what matters in the church. And and so we've said for three weeks straight now, we're going to do it for one-fourth Sunday, what our purpose is, as we understand it, in part from Ephesians chapter 3. And I'd like to invite you to read our purpose out loud with me right now. You can probably do it with your eyes closed. If you can cover your eyes and read this with me, uh, you'll get points that don't matter. All right, let's do it. Ready? Ready? Bethel Church exists to glorify God. By making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, whose lives are all about him. I didn't see anyone trying the blindfolded method. Okay. Maybe we need to read it again. Guys, we do this with an emphasis on, like we've shared over the last few weeks, preaching and studying God's word Valuing scripture, joyful living to his glory and worship, empowered service as we're gifted on his mission. These are the things that we value because church matters. This week we're going to turn our attention to our final value and that is community. As Gail led us to see in that time of prayer, the, the idea really is family, fellowship what is community specifically what is christian community i'm guessing i've got a bunch of intelligent bright people in here i don't have to teach long to help us figure out what community is we're pretty familiar with the idea conceptually community is our gospel-built relationships that serve as the context for living the christian life it's the gospel-built relationships that serve as the context for living out the Christian life. That's maybe in a phrase. My best understanding of what. Christian community is meant to be. And I get it. It's not a world shaking idea. At face value. So, so I want to share some news with us today. But, but I want to start with old news. They've heard a hundred times before. You'll hear again today. Old news. We need community we need community and this goes all the way back to the very beginning of our existence as a human creation in genesis chapter 1 as god is creating the world he says this god said let us make man in our image and after our likeness so god created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We find ourselves back in this passage often because so much of our human experience is tied into how we begin. Who God made us to be and what he made us to exist for. And and in this moment, we can see something right away. A God who existed in community, right, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity as we understand it, perfectly, happily existing forever, a God in community decided to create humanity in his own communal likeness. We were made in the likeness bearing the image of a community-oriented God, a God who existed in perfect relationship to himself. And so as image bearers of God, a part of what we're created for is relationship. It's a part of what we're created for community, interpersonal context for living. What it means is when you're not in community, you yearn for the way the image of God has shaped you. You, you know something's missing when, When you're feeling isolated, when you're feeling alone, you yearn for something because it's been stamped on your heart. It's been stamped on your soul. What this means, too, is when we resist community, when we resist community, we resist the very image of God inside of us. That's how profoundly created we are with this communal orientation. And we have all sorts of common grace ways to experience some of the aspects of community and degrees of what we were made to know. I mean, you can communi- you can experience community all over the place, right? In your workplace, though maybe you wish you didn't have to experience as much community there. Remote work has been a wonderful thing, and you'd like to stay there forever, right? I get it. Or maybe you experience community in your band section, or in your family, or in your classroom, or in your social network, or in that group of people you get with together to read the books that you like to read. The, the list is endless. In fact, we might wonder, is there any actual difference between natural affinity and spiritual community? Right? Like, What's the difference between just friendship and, perhaps we could use the word, fellowship? What's the difference between friendship, natural based, occurring relationships, and fellowship, spiritually oriented Christian community? As I processed that this week, uh, this is what I walked away with. I think friendships are usually based on what we share in common in life, isn't it? We can find some sort of commonality where we get along, we like the same things, we have the same humor. we we are interested in the way each other help each of us advance in the circles we're in, whatever that might be. We have some sort of shared common interest in life. But Christian community is based on what we share in common in Christ. Friendships are based on what we have in common in life. Christian community, the spiritual family of God, is based on what we share in common in Christ. While friendship is a good thing, spiritual community is a God thing. While friendship tells us something about our image-bearing relationships and identities, spiritual community enables us to proclaim the glory of God. And while I'm going to encourage the cultivation of friendships at Bethel Church, they're not a bad thing. They're a good thing. I will insist upon each and And every one of us cultivating a Christian community. Treating one another as a treasured possession. Spiritual, supernatural siblings in the family of God. Does that help us see some of the differences and nuances there? And listen, maybe at no time in history has the need been greater for us to understand God's call. The Bible's call for us to have and know spiritual community. Because we are less communitied than we've ever been before in human history. You know, it kind of reminds me of this picture of an, an aspen tree forest. It's beautiful. I'd like to go camping right there. But it's almost haunting, isn't it, in its beauty? And I think sometimes it's possible for you and I to feel like one of these trees. Maybe this this one front and center here. That's you. And you feel like, yeah, I'm around people. Instagram has quantified exactly how many people I'm around and follow me. There's a row of people I'm sitting next to right now. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm around people, but I'm solitary. Feel a little bit... Alone, unknown, unsupported, surrounded by people, branches, extending in all directions, but standing alone. I think that's where we live a lot of our lives, which brings us from the old news of needing community to the bad news. We struggle to create and experience and enjoy community. The bad news is this, we struggle to create community. And you and I might think of a hundred reasons why. I might be one of the reasons, or 17 of the reasons for you. We struggle to create community, but it's not, I don't think, only because, oh yes, we're more divided and polarized than ever before in history. That plays a part. But I don't think that's the chief reason why we struggle to enjoy, to create and experience community. I think the chief reason we struggle to create community is because Christian community is incredible. I think that's the real reason we struggle to create community. Because it's incredible. The bar is high. And I want to invite you to open to with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read an account here in, in verse 42. Of the first Christian community. And then we're going to leave it behind. But I I want us to just kind of marinate on what this looks like as we experience it. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It's not an unfamiliar moment. And this is what the first community of believers looked and acted like. It says this. They, these Christians... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together." And breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad, generous hearts. Praising God. Having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. This first community of believers in Jerusalem, they were devoted to the truth of Scripture. They were fervent about sharing life, the connectivity and togetherness they experienced. Luke calls it fellowship. They were praying and worshiping together. They were eating their meals together. They were meeting each other's needs. And God was bringing them more and more people to their family. I mean, what an incredible picture of what community It's supposed to look like. They didn't have their own building. They didn't have a brand or political support in their city. But they had Jesus. And Jesus changed each and every one of them into a unity, into a community. And the way that they lived together was the evidence of his work. So, Bethel Church, Hobart Portage, do we have any evidence like this in our church community that Jesus has changed us? I don't want to leave that out there empty. HP, I do see fruit of God's community reorienting work in our church family but I think he wants us to see more of it. I think he wants our community to see more of him in us. So flip over with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Because we get in the book of Romans another helpful collection of the traits of a Christian community. And here Paul takes a list of, of traits to a church community in the city of Rome, calling them to act in this community-oriented way of life. And I want you to see if you can notice all of the overlap between the description of the earliest church and Paul's list here. Bonus points if you notice all the overlap between Paul's list here and the early church and Jesus' sermon on the mount where he lays out his kingdom priorities. This is Paul's encouragement and command to a church community. He says this, and and these verbs are addressed in the plural. They're addressed in the y'all, which we don't have a word for in English. I just want to make that clear. He's saying, hey, all of you together to each other, these things. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's a tall order. I think the bad news is Christian community is hard because it's so incredible. The good news is, we'll get there in a second maybe, but it's a good thing that Christian community is so incredible. And, and as we look at this list, we see the basic attributes of a true Christian community that Christian community involves. and I'm gonna walk through them quickly. Christian community involves truthful love. Truthful love. He says, let love be genuine. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. A Christian family should be showing to one another truthful love, it's genuine. It's sincere. It's not a smile in the lobby, but a backhanded disparagement behind their back. It's loving in that it abhors evil. Love doesn't tolerate evil, it detests evil. It wants what's good, what's ultimate for one another. So, while sure there's a time and place to be gracious and let just ordinary differences go, in love, there's no place. For treating sin like it doesn't matter. Love is affectionate. He says here, a sibling-oriented affection. Which I don't think Paul means you should fight as often as you enjoy each other. There is a sincere affection that you feel as God has placed you into his family. For your family. And I love the call to outdo one another and showing honor that we ought to have a spirit of competitive honor around here. We're always looking to find another way to honor another person. I I think of this, this is my take, I think this is the inverse of Paul's call in Ephesians chapter 5 to submit to one another. He calls the church family to submit to each other as to Christ, right? That's his call, to all People in his church family to submit to each other. And I think this competitive honor is the inverse way of saying the same thing. Yeah, I'm putting the other people in my church family ahead of myself. And so I'm always looking to see how I can honor and praise what God is doing in and through the people around me. That should be the taste of a Christian community. There's also a call for gifted service. He says in verse 11... Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Be passionate. Be empowered and glowing in the Holy Spirit as you serve. If I were to ask our kids ministry team if they had a community behind them that were passionate and glowing in the spirit to serve the needs of the next generation, would they say yes to us here? We talked about the mission and service of the church last week, but the community of God is where these acts of service play out. Theologian John Frame says it this way The church is not a place for self expression, it's a place for mutual service. And then the church community is a place of fervent prayer. Verse 12, Paul writes, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. I think I think it's best to read verse 12 as a single continuous thought describing an attitude of prayer in our lives, a conscious before-godness as we live life. We live our life before God in prayer, as it were, constantly patient in tribulation, rejoicing in the hope we have in Him. It's a prayerfulness. And a Christian community must be constant in prayer. Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. Is that our attitude towards one another? We'd love to serve you in that way by creating environments where you can share prayer requests, where we have a Facebook group, you can be putting prayer requests into your community, where you can be covering each other in prayer, where you can join one another in our Sunday morning services, coming alongside them and praying for one another. I love that we give frequent opportunities for that corporately, but that ought to define who we are constantly. And the Christian community also shows radical expense And their family relationship. Radical expense. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. We should just skip it, right? You're supposed to say no. Thank you. There's a cost to community, isn't there? Some of you have borne that cost this week, it's heavy. Supporting, helping, contributing, your life's needs and priorities being thrown off to meet the needs of another. On your own, you wouldn't be bogged down by the needs of others. In some philosophies, that's the dream life. Not so for Christians. I mean, it's possible that God has temporarily entrusted to you every resource you have. For the purpose of meeting the needs of the other people in your church community. Is that the view and attitude we have towards the things that we have? Towards the time that we have? Towards the assets that we have? Towards the desires that we have? Community is descriptive of radical expense. But then also joyful hospitality. He says they seek And then we ought to seek to show hospitality there at the end of verse 13. Seek to show hospitality. Be looking for ways with your table, with your shelter, with your schedule. And and in a Netflix and a doom-scrolling society like we have, one of the most brazen acts a Christian can have with their life is to be party people. Where, Where there is always space and relationship happening in our lives. That we're connected. That we're quick to offer a place at our tables. We're quick to give of our life for others. That loneliness comes to the church to die. And then he says for a community, there ought to be gracious presence. And he just goes on a riff there in verses 14 through 18. It describes the way we ought to be treating all the people around us, with a gracious presence. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice for those who rejoice. Weep with those who reap. Weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Man, in a Christian community, there's harmony and humility and gracious sympathy. That should be the flavor of our experience together. And then I want to add something else to the list because it wasn't long enough already. I think another element to genuine community that we see throughout Scripture is vulnerable accountability. Vulnerable accountability. And to illustrate that, I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 3, which says this in verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, spiritual family, lest there be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In a Christian community, we got to be telling hard truths to one another and asking tough questions of one another in order to protect each other and nourish a vibrant life of faith. How long has it been since... Someone talked to you that way. How long has it been since you've talked to someone that way? Because the author of Hebrews thinks it should have been today. Right? He says, if it's today, then it's Christian community time. It's ask hard questions time. It's encourage and teach and exhort one another time. Christian community, guys, this this is something we struggle with. We're going to struggle with at Bethel Church because we are a Sunday-oriented church community, which is good. We're called to regularly assemble together. And frankly, the people who structure most of our church activities have maybe the biggest responsibility fall on a Sunday morning. Our times of singing, our times of preaching, these things matter to us deeply. But let's not forget Christian community is not just a Sunday activity. Every day that ends with D-A-Y, the Hebrews author tells us, we have a responsibility. If it's called today, I hope I don't have to explain that to you, it's every day. There's a need for us to be speaking into each other's life to make sure sin doesn't have a chance today. I mean, lately, it's like mushroom season or something in our yard. Is that true for you? We've got these white pine trees, and so we've got these white pine mushrooms. And every day, you know, the mushroom organism lives underground, right? But every day, the fruit of that pops up through the grass with mushrooms. And we've got young kids that don't always act all that bright, right? Because they're kids, and they're mine. (laughs) And, uh... Ashton is very proactive to make sure we don't have, like, a two-year-old trying to eat these mushrooms, all right? Like, we don't know what's going on here. And so, right? And, and so every day, my wife's out there this time of year with a shovel getting all the mushrooms. Like, every mushroom has to be gone, right? And it's a daily activity. And the author of Hebrews tells us, the sin in your brother and sister's life And the joy in the gospel that can be your brother's and sister's life is your responsibility today. That's Christian community. These actions extend to the body of Christ around us. But can I also just walk it one step further for us? This includes your saved spouse, your saved parents, your saved children too. Don't forget, in Christ, they belong to God and the church, not just to you. So husbands, there's no room for anything less than genuine love towards your spouse, towards your bride. Humans, there is no room for anything less in your life than genuine love towards others, competitive honor, towards the ones who brought you into the world, your parents, Siblings, there's no room for anything less than humble harmony towards your siblings. Parents, it's a good time for elbows, right? Wives, there's no room for anything less than daily insisting on godliness towards your husbands. You're called to that. You encourage that. Whether you're single, whether you're in an empty nest phase, All of the ordinary relationships around you, if they're added to the family of God, have additional layers to them. On and on we could go. This is the design for community. And it's a beautiful design. It's an incredible family. Wouldn't you like to belong to relationships like this? Wouldn't you like to belong to a church like Paul describes here in Romans? listen, I know it's possible that some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm not sure I want that. Because you people are strange. And I like my own business. If that's you, let me just friendly, friendly say, kindly say, with correct grammar say, You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are unknown. You cannot mature in your faith in isolation. Your faith is personal, but it is not private. We were designed to be interlocked, to need one another, like iron sharpens iron, to interact with each other, to encourage and edify and show hospitality and walk with each other. These are biblical commands, not suggestions. But it's also possible that some of you are thinking, hey, this describes HP. This describes Bethel Church. I love my community. If that's true for you, I'm so glad that's your experience. And what that tells me is that means somebody else has been faithful to open up a spot at their table, a spot at their life, a spot at their study, a spot in their resourcing and time and heart for you. Maybe lots of someones have done that. And I wonder then, are you in turn making room for others in your world, in your circle, at your table? But then, perhaps finally, it's possible that others in the room are thinking this. I haven't found that community here at Bethel Church. Maybe I used to, but I I haven't experienced it lately. If that's true for you, I want to say that I'm sorry. We're called to that, and so we've we've let you down, if that's true. But I also want to add a caution. You can't find community by looking for community. You can't find it. You can't find family by looking for family. You don't find community by looking at this passage in Romans or in Acts and dreaming of experiencing that kind of fellowship and then noticing how your current church experience falls short of it. That's not how we find it. And I'll quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer again, because in his book, Life Together, he says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. I'll expand on it. You experience community by realizing that your identity in Christ has already given you community, And has already placed you into community. And then by loving those, God has placed you nearest. That's how we go about the work of community. Realizing God's already placed me in it. Already provided it for me himself. And now I have a responsibility to love those he's placed me nearest. And that brings us to our good news. God has recreated us into community. God has recreated us into community, and it's incredible. If we were to go back a bit in Romans chapter 12, we'd see this at the end of verse 5. We, though many, are one body in Christ. We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Though we are individuals, saved by grace through faith in Jesus We're recreated into a single body, a single community, a single church. We become members of one another. In 1 John, John says in chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, the gospel, right? We proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, community with us. And indeed, he says, our fellowship is with the Father. And his son, Jesus Christ. John says he proclaims the gospel so that people can be welcomed into community with one another. But then maybe ultimately so that they can know a community that is ultimately fulfilled only by God himself. As he makes us his sons and daughters. So this is the point. You don't find community by looking for it. You find community by looking to Jesus. That's how you find community. By giving and growing in our knowledge and love of the gospel of Jesus, we come to realize more and more and more that God himself gives us the unconditional love and the togetherness that we so desperately want and need because we were created for that want and need. God himself gives us that unconditional love. Because while so many of your friendships and relationships kind of constantly feel like you're in interview mode, right, like you're auditioning, like, am I still in today? Did I do good enough? Should I apologize for that thing I said? I thought it was funny, but they probably thought it was weird. They probably think I'm weird. That's who they think about me. Oh, man, I messed up, right? Like, we we can find ourselves constantly in audition mode with the people around us in community. With God, though, we have a true friend and a constant companion, and him we have Unconditional love shown to us by his act of rescue in Jesus and demonstrated day in and day out with his faithful promises. So you find community by looking to Jesus. But then also, <laughs> he does something more. Not only does he fulfill our need for community, he places us into community. We already have a fellowship we've been made into a community with God's daughters and sons what i mean is what i mean is this you don't need to create christian community ultimately cuz that looks like an impressive list of things to do that i haven't lived up to myself and haven't experienced yet ultimately though we don't have to create that community God placed us into it the moment he rescued us and made us alive in him. I don't have to create it. I don't have to earn it. I've been placed into it already. Pastor Tim Keller said, community is not something we have to create. It's what we are in Christ. We've been brought into the life of the triune God. And that's a life of mutual love and other-centeredness. In the church, we value community because we're a community. And earlier in the sermon, I said that you might have felt like this aspen forest, right? Alone in the woods, resisting the urge to sing. Lost in the woods right now. But this forest is actually the perfect picture of our spiritual community in God. See, this isn't a forest of individual trees, actually. The biologists in the room knew this already. This is the Pando Aspen tree in central Utah. And that's right, singular, tree This is actually just one tree that has grown up from one seed over hundreds of years with 70,000 plus trunks emerging every season one by one from the same continuous root system. It's one tree. Yes, it looks like a collection of individual trees, but it's not. It's covering Hundreds of square miles of ground shifting nutrients and water across miles of terrain to nourish and grow itself across a vast expanse. It's a single organism. And as cool and creative and wild as that is, I think it's a perfect picture of the family of God. Like that tree, we, though many, are actually one in Christ, one community by God's work through the gospel. A gospel that not only makes us right before God, but places us into a community forever. In Christ, you are already a community. And so I encourage you, show up to the community that's yours. Takes effort, takes presence, takes initiative. But we can do this. We try to structure ourselves as a church to be intentional about creating smaller and smaller spaces for durable discipleship in groups and in studies all across the board. Show up to the community that's yours. And then stay around in the community that God has created. Because this will take time. It will take the rest of your life, frankly, and mine. It takes hardships. It takes meeting the needs of others and not your own. But we belong to this community. And it's through this community, the church, remember Ephesians 3, that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to the world. Something only God can do. Would you join me in praying, thanking him, and asking him to continue that work? God, would you help us to know whose we are in you? And who you placed us next to. Would you teach us to say no to the lies that say we're alone or that we don't fit. And understand that we've been placed here on purpose. Into your family. And then teach us to act that way towards each other. Spirit, would you make yourself known in our community to hundreds of people in the month to come. Because of the way your church and your community displays your wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen. You can stand. As we prepare to leave today. As a community and to our community, not leaving the social and relational expectations and needs of one another, but continuing in them, would you receive this benediction? First Thessalonians 3. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus, with all his saints. You may go in his grace. We're sent.